Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I will be speaking to uh, Scott Smith out of uh, Practice Leaders Business Advisory Services. Uh, I believe you're a virtual CISO among others, Scott. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And, you know, looking back uh, at your bio, I see that you've been... uh, you know, in the audit space for quite some time now, you've been with companies like EY and Schlumberger as like senior manager, managing director of IT security consulting practices. You've been with Deloitte as well with Grant Thornton LLP and so on and so forth. Uh, if you'd like to step in and properly introduce yourself, that would be great. Sure. You know, I'm I, I uh, actually, with my hairline, I show my age a bit. I am a mature senior executive. Let's put it that way. Uh, yeah, I spent 14 years as a hospital executive, actually, in the beginning, got into consulting after that, uh, consulting largely for healthcare, and then diversified more into manufacturing, oil and gas. Um, started, went up the ladder, obviously, and, you know, became a partner level person. Um, in at ENY, Schlumberger, Grant Thornton, and moved on from that after the recession. I, you know, I basically found out I could do just as well contracting on my own mm-hmm. uh, and provide my clients the same level of service and a lower cost. So that's what I've been doing uh, since um, what, t- 2009, uh, working oh. as an interim uh, IT security executive. Uh, working, uh, you know, helping people to understand their security programs, uh, where they've got gaps, where their, you know, their big issues are, if you will. But I do have the experience that comes from having been there, done that, both as an executive as well as a consulting executive from the bigger firms. And which one do you find more rewarding, the being a like being as a consultant right now, or? A- did you miss uh, being like in a, you know, in an executive position? You know, I, you know, I, I really like what I do right now. I have to tell you, I, um, I come in as an interim. People really need me. You know, I never have to sit there as a lot of executives do and wonder what my value is every day. If they don't value me, I'm gone. <laughs> it's as simple as that. So, I mean, I, I everything I do that uh, working for a client when you're an interim or, coming in to handle an M&A transaction, anything like that is very focused and very relevant to the company at that time. And I, I really enjoy that kind of, that level of strategy and impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm assuming the freedom that goes along with it is also some sort of, you know, a plus. I, I don't, you know, everybody says that, but at the same time, you still have to earn a living. So is there freedom? Uh, you know, if you want to make a living, probably not as much as you'd think. I don't know anyone who's self-employed that doesn't work harder than they did when they weren't self-employed. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. You know, being in the consulting space myself, I, I tend to agree with you. But uh, okay. Um, so let's let's get started. And, you know, I'll, I'll be asking you a few questions about, uh, you know, your path, your journey trying to learn more about, uh, you know, like of your role as a virtual CISO in, in some cases. And um, and I always like to start by asking like an icebreaker question and maybe, you know, I'll keep it open-ended here. Um, is there any anything that you'd like to share about yourself that you, you feel, you know, the listeners should know? Typically, I ask about like favorite drink or and marital status, but you know it's really up to you to share whatever you feel comfortable. Um, I mean, I think that 
probably the biggest thing about me is, is I'm, I can think I'm passionate about what I do. Frankly, I'd probably be sitting here if I was retired, had all the money in the world, I'd be coding and, and exploring and learning new things about security uh, and IT and data analysis. So in so many ways, it's like retirement is, sounds like a sad thing to me. Uh, it's like, why would I retire if I'm able to do the job well for my clients and enjoy it, right? So maybe that's a, a quirk of me. Maybe it's a personality flaw. I don't know. Um, but I think about that now and then because a lot of my contemporaries are starting to retire. And I, I'm like, well, you know, I don't really know what I'd do with myself. <laughs> that would be a whole lot different from day to day. I just wouldn't get paid for it, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and you actually uh, fast forward that to my last question uh, <laughs> in this podcast. So so thank you for that. Um, so let, let's dive right in. Um, if there's one thing you wish you had known when you began your career, what would that be? Hmm. Probably that I could do what I'm doing right now. Um, and probably do it earlier. Um, I think, at, you know, you, you have a tendency when you come out of college, you, they lay out a path, you, you work in the corporate world for a while. You think that's the path to success. But success has different forms. And, you know, to balance the, gee, I like doing this with maybe some of the rules and structures that you run into. And, and honestly, some of the pressures of just managing people, you're being managed, you're managing people um, can be a, a, a tire. That's more tiresome than dealing with clients and their issues is to me. Um, so I think I wish I could could have gotten here sooner. Um, than I did. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Uh, yeah, you know, I found out, so one of my earlier roles was of a consultant, and then I transitioned into the corporate world, I held a, all kinds of, of positions from team leader, uh, the application security, VP of professional services and whatnot. But I think I felt the most comfortable in the consultant role. Eventually I went back into it and established my own company actually. So I, I, do, I do see the appeal in that. Mm -hmm. I think the diversity as well, um, for me specifically. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, uh, looking back in, uh, at your career, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it? Huh, you know, I feel like I'm on an interview here in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, listening, I would say, you know, listening for real problems probably when you're younger is more difficult. And in security as a CIO, you can't just focus on technology. It's, it's really about the business's risk. Where, what is their culture like? And what sort of security controls can they actually culturally adapt to well because we're and i have to go back a little bit if i take any specific security area say access control just for one yep. and you've got a risk that i need to address well there's probably five different ways to address it either technically compensating controls procedurally we want a certain depth and breadth, but it's more about, you know, if I'm a mid-market manufacturer or if I'm an enormous hospital system, I have very different risk profiles and needs. And I also have very different cultural, how should I say it, adaptability. So I, I would address those two clients in a very different way for the same thing. And I don't think our clients uh, really understand that, that we have to do that. Um, I think, uh, it took me a while to understand that you just can't walk in with a cookbook. You have to listen, you have to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to less listen and adapt both because the business might be different and uh, I'm just, uh, and the, just culture. the culture and the people are very different. I mean, it's one thing to deal with, a you know, when you're in a consulting firm, you're dealing with, Hey, everybody next to you is an MBA. Well, that's a very different level of education and competence that you then you would find at your local McDonald's is set. So there's a strata 
and uh, or warehouse workers or what have you. So who's operating in the environment? It has to be considered, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and touching a bit about what you consider as, as failures, what would you say your biggest success successes were? Well, I've been very successful um, working with clients and, and addressing that failure, frankly. I think it's really going in and adapting to everybody's the varying scales of clients and industry. I was actually very surprised that um, the bulk of my clients have been global corporations, that if you would have talked to me and said, oh, you're going to work at Procter & Gamble, I would have said, oh, I'll never fit in there. And yet I was very successful there, fit in very well. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing as a, uh, as a consulting what what a good client is perception-wise before you go in versus what a bad client is. Um, so yeah, you get into those kinds of things. I think I've been very successful at a, probably addressing my failure as well as just having a natural ability to walk in the door and and make impact. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking about good clients, and this leads me to another uh, question I usually ask down the road here, but so, so who, who would you say is your ideal customer then? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when you start thinking about the ideal customer, it's really a, a customer that will sit there and listen um, and really talk to you and not lie to you. I think the worst client is somebody who lies to you and then you have to go in and, well, you know, we found out that everything you told us is wrong. Now, <laughs> now that's a problem and that's going to cost you money and you're going to be mad at me for that. Um, I do think that your, your consultant is kind of like your attorney and your doctor. You don't want to lie to that person. It's just going to cost you money in the long run. So that, that's always a problem. And I think um, clients that have no executive will or probably other ones I would not like to have. So that... The, my favorite clients are the converse, the ones who really have, have a goal, an objective. Uh, when we come to a set of recommendations that they support and they feel comfortable about, they stand firmly behind that while we execute it. They don't look at us as people that are expendable that they throw under the bus. Yeah. So in other words, a customer that's actually a partner of some sort. Yes, that really partners with you and... Um, just publicly with their employees and, and just works with us to get the, the objective done, just get the projects going and get it done correctly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Uh, and, you know, moving up the ladder, as you mentioned, uh, and I know a lot of CISOs, like some of them, um, some, you know, um, some leadership, some leaders in this industry have all kinds of, uh, you know, certifications and an education background. What, what, for you, what were the best resources that, that have helped you along the way to progress and, and move up the ladder? Well, other great resources, number one. I mean, if you can't um, learn to manage other resources, I mean, you're not going to move up the ladder. And in the consulting world, in the executive world, um, even as a contractor, I mean, you have to, um, you have to learn to be able to direct people. I mean, you know, my current project right now, I'm directing, depending on the quarter, anywhere from five to 12 people, uh, is that I'm managing. And, um, you know, that seems to work very well. We have to work as a unit and you have to look at those resources and try to give them roles that where they can be successful versus where they want, you know, they won't be successful. You have to learn to evaluate people, you know, based on their skill sets for their strengths, give them roles that play to their strengths versus their weaknesses. It's not always possible. I get that, but you do it as much as you can. And I think that's um, made me very successful in moving up the ladder as well, because those people um, mentoring good people moves you up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you name a few uh, individuals that were the most influential to you? 
Oh, my father, obviously. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's like, it, I know it sounds, you know, kind of terrible, but he was always uh, that guy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, beyond my father, probably uh, Jim Hassett at Ernst & Young. Uh, obviously, you know, he was just a phenomenal person who took tremendous interest in my career and what I could provide. I think Dave Bully did the same. Uh, they're all retired now. You know, that, those guys, you know, they, they were interested in, you know, Hey, this guy's a little bit crazy. He's younger and seems like he knows what he's doing kind of thing. And, uh, I still appreciate the fact that they, uh, they mentored my career forward. Um, I think everybody has people like that along the way that notice them and and give them the advice to take them to the next level mm -hmm. so not necessarily mentors but influencers maybe i would say both i would say you know literally with jim was the managing partner of the region here and i i don't know if you know consulting if your listeners know consulting at ernst and young that's a big deal partners mm -hmm. report to this guy I was, I, I was on a project that I had kind of opened a new client, designed it, brand new business for ENY. Jim and Dave were there at 1030 at night and asked me if they could get me coffee. <laughs> because they were so intrigued by what I was pulling off. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And I was really, I was fundamentally astounded by that. There aren't many executives around like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, is there, you know, looking at the industry right now, there are so many common myths about it, so many beliefs, especially by outsiders. Is there one common myth uh, that you wanted to debunk about this field? Well, I would say in my field, especially, you know, I'm a little bit evangelical about this. Um, it's all, I think there's a myth that security is all about tools and technology. I run into that quite a bit with uh, CTOs and even CIOs. Well, you know, we'll install, you know, Proofpoint. We'll, we'll install, you know, the latest vulnerability scanner. We'll, we'll install Cloudflare and everything's all right. Well, guess what? Those, it really still is about the processes you implement. Those tools can only enable those processes. And if those processes are terrible, guess what? The tool's not gonna operate well. Uh, do you have the right configurations? Do you have the right people monitoring these systems? Um, I'll tell you the truth, 99% of the clients I go into right now will have a laundry list of fantastic uh, industry leading tools. Uh, from firewalls to, you know, WAFs, everything else for, to secure their environment. Well, they're not installed correctly, or if they're installed at all, or they're installed only at one location, and they wonder why they're not getting good reporting data. <laughs> These are the kind, it still ends up being about those critical people and skill sets at the end of the day. And uh, I really... I, I really think I have to correct that notion that it's really a, not about the technology still, no matter how sophisticated we want our uh, artificial intelligent networks to be, it, right now, we still need the people to make those tools work the right way. Yeah. And, you know, from what I've seen in many organizations is that uh, frequently the tools that an organization has do not necessarily um, correlate with the needs, but rather with the vendor relationship, the personal re relationship the vendor has with the decision makers, or maybe mm -hmm. like, you know, a spe special bundle offering of some sort. And then you find yourself, you know, having an inventory of all kinds of technologies and tools that you, you don't necessarily need. And for sure, they're not, you know, necessarily installed properly and actually function properly. I'm not sure if that's still the case nowadays, but I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, we see some of that. I would say that 
uh, I'm not as concerned about that because, you know, doing what I do, I, you know, what's the difference in some, some cases, okay. W one vulnerability scanner versus the other, guess what? If you're in the top three, they're both all good tools. Yeah. <laughs> you know, firewalls pay kind of get to the same place. You know, am I going to argue about whether you're using, you know, Fortis SIM or Splunk don't care. Let's just configure it right and move on and associate it with your needs. Yeah, right? definitely. definitely. Um, can you tell a bit about uh, the organizations that you're with right now? I believe you're a partner of some sort in. Yes, yes. Uh, serious cybersecurity. Um, we are an interesting company, I think. Um, we were, I know Andrew and I met in Houston area working in uh, the oil and gas industry as consultants. Um, we've hired each other. We've been each other's clients. Uh, I mean, you name it. Um, and then we decided that, hey, we really need to put a company together and uh, try to work together more. And we were able to do that. And it really started as just a couple of contractors trying to figure out how to you know, get more business mm -hmm. on a more consistent basis. And then the idea grew into, hey, we could probably throw a, you know, a few other guys in here and we could meet the thresholds to actually get cheaper benefits in healthcare because that's an issue. <laughs> so there was some of that. But, um, and I think that one of the things that really um, got us together too is we had a group of guys that were very ethical. A lot of people, um, especially contractors you'll find, were kind of driven out of some of the bigger consulting firms simply because they felt like they had unethical practices. They, we feel more comfortable being very blunt sometimes with our clients and saying, you know, this is where it is. If you really need feel like you know we're saying it the wrong way, maybe you need to go to some somebody else. And we are, as a firm, I think, very comfortable saying that. You know, uh, we do specialize. Probably, I, I run the CISO advisory practice around uh, giving CISOs proper advice, helping them to develop a GRC program, helping them to understand risk, building out compliance assessments helping them to build and implement a, a full security program at the strategic level. Uh, and I think Andrew compliments me because, and we built a, a group of people that were um, really experts in access control around SailPoint and CyberArk for privileged access management. And that's kind of um, been the areas that we've really, we've grown in. So yes, uh, it is an interesting company, a little bit different, um, but we've, we, we right now are in a place where we have quite a few successful engagements under our belt. We've never had a dissatisfied customer, but I mean, you know, give us time. We'll figure that how to, how to do that, I guess, <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. And can you tell a bit about the market that you operate in? Like, do you have any specific market niche that you're focused on? Um, no, I mean, you know, obviously doing what we do, we, we have a tendency to be in larger Companies, I mean, you know, if you look at my resume, it's probably the Fortune 500, maybe Fortune 1000. But, you know, I also deal with a lot of mid-market firms and actually lately even small ones, because what we're starting to see is the mid-market and smaller firms are starting to get pulled into this whole cybersecurity space. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm a defense contractor and I'm a 50-man shop. Wow, I have to now be compliant with you know, 800-171, which is going to morph to CMMC, CMMC. right? Right. And, and that's kind of an anecdotally about what you're seeing in the market. Even if you're not specifically required, okay, you're a supplier, okay? You make something. You want Walmart to buy it from you. Well, guess what? That contract with Walmart is going to require you to meet their security requirements. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that more and more. Businesses, the larger businesses that other businesses want to do business with require their suppliers, vendors, and partners to meet their standard of security. And that's driving a lot of our business right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm seeing that as well. You know, uh, every mm -hmm. we work mostly with the, the startup space, startup industry, and all of them. I mean, when they go about and try to sell to the Walmart of the world, they need to, you know, 
to show basically right. their, their compliance posture and security posture. So, yeah, that's a good point. I, I missed up, missed on that one. We've been doing a lot of work with um, private equity firms, portfolio companies, especially when they start thinking about how that access strategy is going to look if they're not compliant <laughs> or have great security. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's going to come up pretty soon in the sales process, I would say. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, looking at your customers and without divulging any, you know, confidential information, what could you share about like the common challenges that you see your customers are faced with? The common challenges are kind of a lot of the things that we've brought up. Um, just managing risk. First of all, most of them, 90% of them really don't do a great job of identifying and their own risk related to cybersecurity. They're, they're just really haven't got a process in place to do that well. And that's really where it all starts, right? Um, they haven't taken the time to, you know, line that risk up in any way, shape or form to some sort of a common framework. And I like those frameworks like NIST 853 because that helps to, to communicate risk and also turns it into clear objectives for your firm to, to achieve. Okay, you have this risk. Here are three controls you really should put in to mitigate that risk, right? Now, how you do that could be 10 other different things. Pick four, you know, but <laughs> we, we can work with that and find the ones that meet your requirements, mitigate that risk, and actually are hopefully more transparent for you to, to, to operationalize. And those are the things that's, it's, they have a tendency to run everything in silos. Oh, I've got my risk guys over here, my compliance guys over here, my security ops over there, business continuities up here. Nobody's talking to each other. I mean, I, I, I've gone into quite a few places where IT operations, frankly, has a very hostile relationship with the security guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's unfortunate. I mean, there should be a certain amount of friction. I'm not going to say that I don't disagree with that, but because we are, we're, we, we're perceived as being like, wow, almost looking over their shoulder about at their quality of work. Right. But I would say that um, it's also necessary. I think that we need to get involved and we, you know, we're like, Hey, you haven't really documented any of these run book procedures. What's going on? How do we secure that? <laughs> and so there's, there's that kind of conversation that needs to happen in most organizations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, working with uh, this type of a, of, of a clientele, I imagine you have to be working with other vendors as well. And, and again, I know you're considering yourself as like the partner of, of, of this customer of yours, but I'm assuming you, you'd need to work with other vendors. Uh, some of them might even be a competitor of yours. Do you have any, any tips on how to play well together with other companies and other service providers? Sure. sure. I mean, we, uh, we partner with a lot of firms. Obviously, we're partners with some of the software vendors. SailPoint, CyberArk, that type of thing, Sexeta. Um, I would say that we focus more on implementation and we tend to be, I think probably our biggest area that we try to do is we try to just say to those partners, look, if our client has a need, we'll refer them to you, we'll work with you, but we're not going to push it. If they prefer to be with Okta, guess what? They prefer to be with Okta, but we're still going to work with them. <laughs> yeah, we have to we have to kind of be that way and set those ground rules up front and early i think the other kind of partners that we tend to have are other firms that are in our space the the professional services space where they don't do what we do maybe they're help desk oriented they sell a lot of licenses um those kinds of firms like i think cdw comes to mind something like that uh Carisoft. Uh, those kinds of firms we can partner with because we really don't have a lot to compete with each other over. Um, they don't really want the PS services to them. It's complicated and a pain in the rear end. They just want the licenses and move it on, right? Uh, so yeah, I think that the problem there that we can have with those kinds of um, partners is that they just, number one, just don't care and they get us in too late to the 
to the process and that hurts the client relationship from starting well. So a lot of times with that type of a, of a relationship, you really want to really establish the ground rules early about, you know, hey, we need to meet more often so we understand what's coming up in your sales pipeline that we can assist with on the implementation, say, or the, you know, the assessment work. We want to get more involved in pre-sales with those clients if we can. Mm -hmm. and those partners mm -hmm. and um, that's a tough conversation because you know a lot of our partners really just don't want to open that kimono particularly you know yeah. um i'd say the yeah. third type of partner we have is another one that's similar to us but doing something different frankly i've run it i've worked with firms that um they just don't have they've got they're selling more than they have enough the capacity to deliver and they'll look to us to be their excess capacity I've got others that, frankly, they're an MSP and they don't really want to get into the MSSP space they, and they don't want to do projects. So they, you know, they're really looking for a security partner overall. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, great tips. Um, now, when you start working with a new customer or even with a new vendor, let's just, uh, you know, divide this question mm -hmm. into, into sure. two questions. When you start working with a new customer, what would you say your biggest challenge is typically? Oh, just getting to know the client, uh, just really getting to know the real drivers of what's, why they buy, what they bought. And I, I will tell you, and I've got some recent experience with this. Do they really understand that their tactical problem isn't their real problem in most cases? Um, you know, we've had a lot of situations where we've been brought in where, oh, there's an executive mandate, like from, I think, the Biden administration related to MFA, related to something related to ransomware. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware of that. And uh, so somebody at the executive level or at the board level has dictated that we will have MFA installed within 90 days on everything. Well, okay. What about your legacy apps? What about how it's going to impact your, your workforce across the country? Uh, what about all the recently acquired divisions that really aren't ready for that? Uh, how are you going to integrate that to your cloud uh, environment versus your on-prem environment? They haven't really thought through anything. They just make a dictate from on high, and then they just let IT figure it out. Mm -hmm. So that's been a problem, I would say. Lately, as people see these bigger emergencies with ransomware and government dictates, they're responding somewhat foolishly. They, okay, step back. Let's... Let's have a strategic plan. Let's walk before we run. Let's implement it in a rational manner that is both cost-effective and gets you to the security level you want to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're just bypassing all those conversations and just going to the tool and slapping it in. Yeah, and I think you alluded to my follow-up question on this, but. Uh, would you say the importance of a solid onboarding phase is paramount to the success of your role? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that's really kind of, you're, you're exactly saying what I probably just alluded to in passing, but you really got to sit down with the client, get to know the, the executives and the people who have the authority to make decisions because it, with every major project within, a, within security, especially, you're going to be dealing with different business units who are users of consumers of that plus it ops plus security and you're likely going to get to places where somebody has to make a call and you know there's going to be a lot of finger pointing there's going to be a lot of you know issues that are discovered that everybody didn't know about and so somebody's really got to be able to walk in the room who has that level of authority to just say, yes, we're gonna do it this way. We're gonna go forward this way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes a while to get there. It takes a while to get there with most clients. Sure. And you know, revisiting the same question, but now addressing it towards a vendor, would you say you have, you're, you're, you're experiencing with different challenges when you start engaging with a new vendor? Yes. Um, I, I would say like right now I'm dealing with a, 
relatively new vendor relationship and, you know, partner, if you will. Um, they're probably a more of a sales oriented consulting firm, you know, very big sales organization light on their delivery. Mm -hmm. um, and they really have too many cooks in the kitchen. Like they'll have like, you know, five different levels of a, an account manager, a new accounts, you know, a, and then the licenses for this group. And we're having to go through the jump through the hoops and learn how they're organized and how their pecking order works on the fly. No one's really, and we've actually kind of said time out guys, we, we really need somebody to step back and just understand who we're so, really has the authority in the room when we get pulled into a client and uh, help you build an SOW. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, it can be amusing, but it's, a, and, and it is in a situation when, and I think we're all working through it, but it's unfortunate that we have to work through it in, in many ways. Yeah. The merits of streamlining processes, you know, at some point when you get too big and, and scale up, so <laughs> it might be too, too complicated as you just, uh, right. Right. Well, yeah, these guys are a billion plus firm, yeah. you know, and that's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's what happens. And I do know you need to, as you get to that scale, you need those kinds of governing procedures, but I think there's better ways to handle it. Um, and they're, they, you know, everybody's going to have those maturity pains, if you will, in that process. But um, as a small firm, we're a bit more nimble and we're, we're just kind of just, you know, fire up a flare and say, hey, guys, we really need to figure this out. <laughs> and maybe that's good for both of us. I think that I think that so far what we're really um, hearing feedback from them is, hey, we're really glad you called us out on this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we really need to fix this. So that's been a good thing. What would you say the the main or the biggest difference between your role or uh, the role of an interim CISO to a full-time CISO is? Not a lot different. Um, I would say the, uh, the biggest issue with, well, let's just be, first of all, you know, the statistics for most uh, full-time CISOs is, is they're not full-time. <laughs> they cycle through about every three years. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that's, an that's the CISO average. Maybe, yeah. Maybe an interim CISO is um, probably the right way to go all the time. I don't know. But uh, most of the time when I'm brought in, it's because somebody left in a hurry, was fired, major breach situation. And, what, you know, honestly, sometimes I have to vet my clients because, frankly, if somebody was fired for what I consider poor logic or, you know, poor, poor executive um, decisioning there. In other words, a lot of really good people get fired because, they were doing their jobs correctly and it just upset somebody. Um, you know, CISOs can get pulled into that. And, uh, you know, you have to think about that. And uh, so you, you do kind of vet your clients a little bit on that. And then uh, when you get engaged, I think that I typically see everything from, like I said, the portfolio of software that's not really installed correctly, not configured correctly. There's not really a risk assessment out there. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking to them and uh, they're telling me their problems, none of that's coming up. It's really like, oh, we, we just never really got it right. We always buy the best stuff. And, you know, we think that we're, we're doing a pretty good job and this should be just a steady state role for a while. And then you get in there, get underneath the covers and wow, you've got a problem. And, uh, I'm surprised you haven't been hacked yet. Or I should say it differently. Yeah. You don't know whether you've been hacked yet. Yeah. It's your, yeah, and that's, that's a bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I say to some of our customers uh, from time mm -hmm. to time that they told, they told us that they, they were never hacked and we're like, yeah, but you, you can't really tell if you were hacked or not. You don't have like any logs, any audit trails. So, you know, I do encounter this from time to time as well. Um, right. Now, if I were to talk to any of your customers, what do you think mm -hmm. they would say about what they like the most about working with you? Um, I would say that they like the fact that I just hit the ground running 
try to um, conceptualize the problems and help to educate them and their people. Uh, I think that's uh, the first thing that they would say. I've, I've heard that feedback at least anyway. Um, I would say the other thing is, is I'm not afraid to make decisions and recommendations. I mean, obviously as an interim executive that can be kind of dicey, but as a, when you're engaged to be a consultant, you're always couching everything in the terms of recommendations for someone else to actually, you know, an executive there to take on and support or not, right? Um, but um, yeah, I think that um, that's been probably very positive uh, feedback that I've gotten. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's that's important. Yeah. I just had another conversation today, actually, about, you know, uh, I got a similar answer about listen first and and talk then and t talk later this yeah is yeah you're later. right right yeah yeah I, I i try to take the time to understand the client first um the client can teach you a lot and you you don't want to come in the door who <laughs> we used to get we used to laugh about the old um accenture anderson model where you backed up a busload of kids you know to the school busload of uh, accenture kids Mm -hmm. um, and that's still a bit of a joke out there with consulting firms. There's a bit of that. I think that what we at Sirius Cyber, we're probably all a little bit more mature that, than that. Um, but with that, you know, uh, I think that, that seasoning, you also get people that listen first. And when we've got help, we're there to really assist you based on what, who you are and what your risk is versus just bringing a playbook in and executing it. Uh, I think that's a big differentiator for uh, any individual consultant as well as a firm. Mm -hmm. So who would you say is your ideal customer? And I think you've alluded to that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, maybe you. Yeah, my ideal customer is one that, you know, appreciates that, you know, that um, you can work with, that, you, you know, comes in and uh, supports you know, uh, works with us to uh, understand the issue, all aspects of the issue that it's not just, oh, I need to address the MFA. It's, oh, I don't have a security program. I don't have anything going on for privileged access. Uh, <laughs> so what the hell is MFA going to do for me? <laughs> it's like putting a Band-Aid on, you know, a, a decapitation. It's just not going to work. But, uh, and, and I think that, you know, sitting down, having a conversation about the real business needs first and helping to educate the client uh, and then being open to that conversation versus I think I know what I need. Um, sometimes is a, is a much more interesting client for me. Um, it, and it also turns into a longer relationship, I think. Not necessarily always a re uh, revenue oriented one, but one where, they feel comfortable just calling me up and saying, Scott, I'll, let me bounce this off of you. I don't have to charge you for every phone call. Uh, and, and we have a lot of client, former clients like that. And, I, and I'm, I'm proud of that, really. I'm more proud of the hours I don't bill for my clients than I am of the ones I do in some ways. <laughs> And so we've touched about who would be your ideal customer. What qualities you don't like in a, in a customer then? I think we touched on that before. It's the ones that can be very um, dictatorial, one-dimensional, uh, a lot of office politics where you can't figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, one group's, you know, a lot of office gossip. You know, we, we're really, you know, coming from the outside vendor perspective, we can't fix those things for you. We can, to some extent, accommodate the issues you have, but we can't fix your pro your personnel problems for you. <laughs> I mean that 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 comes up too often. And you know, if we've got, we just need to know where the authority is and and the, what the problems are, and move for, forward through that. Uh, that's that's how we um, earn our livings and how we can best support a client like that. Um, we need that clear runway or else, you know, we're not going to be able to meet our schedule and budgets. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I but you, you, you can't always know if there is a toxic culture in that organization before you start. No, you can't. Work. But, you know, honestly, if you're in the negotiations with the client, you're listening to build the SOW correctly, you sure see a lot of signs of it. Yeah. And frankly, um, you know, if you have a champion in the company, um, a lot of times they're waving you off. <laughs> So there, that has happened. I mean, they're like, you know, this is a crazy place to work. And I literally had a client um, that I was working with and we were talking to them and they said, look, in order to manage this, this company for any project, you have to have a project reserve of 200%, just simply because so many issues are going to come up and so many people are going to object and it's going to be irrational. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how... I will tell you, honestly, the, that honesty from the executives was actually, I, I liked that. At least they were outspoken about it. And they were, we understand that that's an issue here, kind of people. And uh, we want to make sure that we're here to support you and help you get through that and manage that, that issue. And I actually love that conversation. It was great. Um, but they understood that their environment had been become that. And speaking about initiating conversations with you, what's the best way our listeners can connect with you online? Well, it's easy, Cirrus Cybersecurity, um, CirrusCyber.com. Call me up. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, Scott Smith, cybersecurity. It's not, not difficult. I've got a phone number too that works and it's generally everywhere out there. And you know, naturally, you know, call you, right, Ben? Yeah, as well. Call me. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll send them your way as well. No worries. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know we've, you know, we we're coming to the tail end of this episode today. And I know we've touched about, you know, retirement and whatnot, but... Did you want to add some color to my next question? If money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Yeah, yeah that's uh, my wife makes fun of me because I've actually um, talked about that before. I think my son, I have three sons and I'm always saying it's like, um, you know, I, I, I really probably wouldn't do anything um, silly if I, if money was no object, I'd, I don't know. I, I, um, there's a thought process and you have to understand my background with this a little bit. My wife, uh, was a volunteer as the guardian ed litem. We adopted our, one of our sons. We've seen a lot of the issues with children in the systems and the schools and that type of thing and the foster homes. So I've always looked at that model of as it works in the Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana area. And I'm like, we really need to get back to something that's more controllable, like a boarding school that where you can live and get a nutritious meal and be ready to go to school and, and just take you out of that, that toxic environment that, of the system and these homes and just help you get there. Mm -hmm. And I'd look, if I had, if I was Bill Gates, that's what I'd be doing to, is establishing that. Well, I, I believe that's an admirable cause. Um, and, and for the last, uh, last question, before we wrap this up, uh, anything you've mm -hmm. read, listened to, watched even lately that has inspired you and you wanted to share? Um, probably. I don't know which one. Um, uh, yeah. I guess I, I have, I've, I have been kind of, because I watch all the news and this type of thing. And I always start picking up on things. I think i read, um, I was doing some things because you know, all the issues with attacking the capital and every, all everybody's very polarized these days. I, uh, I started doing some research on that and I ended up seeing, reading some things, believe it or not, from, uh, Socrates and Plato and, uh, and they're, thoughts were how flawed democracy is. And that was one of the very reasons that, frankly, that most people, the bulk of the people are not fit to govern. So why are you letting them? 
This is I so true. <laughs> I this is he's like, and, and it, it was a great analogy actually. He's like, if you're running a boat, do you want a captain who knows how to navigate, or do you just want anyone? <laughs> in charge and i'm like you know he's actually got a point here <laughs> i don't know how you actually would do it and get there but um you know it's also sad you know it's like there's a certain sadness in it he's actually making a pretty good case for elitism but <laughs> but you know i think um it, it's interesting to me that uh, this is not an old problem. I mean, the Greeks were having the very same problem with polarization and mob rule, the French Revolution, apparently, as well. And uh, it's just very interesting to me that um, that these issues are out there. Ours obviously haven't gotten to the points that those ancient and, you know, revolutionary societies had, but it is interesting that the, those are continuing to be problems with with democracies going forward yeah i i'm not a big believer in mankind anyhow and and i tend to agree <laughs> i tend to agree with that you know uh, i think to paraphrase <laughs> einstein what did he say he said uh, only two things are infinite the universe and human stupidity and i'm not so sure about the universe so <laughs> Uh, yeah. I agree with that that sentiment a lot. So yeah, but uh, too much of the things, the truisms that we discover are interesting, but not necessarily always positive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, okay. Let me thank you for taking the time and joining in joining me in in my episode today of this uh, edition of uh, Virtual CISO Insiders. Uh, thank you so much for your time and for the conversation and, and for the answers that you provided. I am uh, I'm hoping some of our listeners would uh, take some of the, the information provided here and uh, you know try to apply it. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation and I'm hoping you you had a pleasant time as well. Uh, looking forward to, to keeping in touch with you. Excellent. You too. See you later, Ben. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>